And that's really where I think the biggest shift is going to be is people are going to make smarter decisions based on data. And that's really where we're hoping that we're going to become a winner out of this. This is The Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Today on the Safari, we are going to tackle big data, loyalty, and consumer insights. And there's no one better to talk to about this than Gavin Dean, who is the founder and CEO of Reward. And Reward was founded in the United Kingdom, has grown exponentially from there. They've actually recently received a a partnership investment from Verisk, uh, the multi-billion dollar data platform. And um, he is helping brands, retailers, and businesses all over the world understand their customers, and grow into the businesses that they always hoped they would be. So um, I'm really happy to have him uh, with us today and uh, stick around. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me on the Safari. Good. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you are currently uh, live from Dubai, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Live from Dubai. Uh, yeah, we moved out here about nine months ago, um, just before the second UK lockdown. We were coming out here anyway to do some work. We're, we're expanding our, our offices. And just the thought of going back to London and being in lockdown wasn't great. So we thought, you know what, let's set up camp here and, and see what, what we can do. There we go. The, Miami of the Middle East. It's perfect. <laughs> it, well, I tell you what, it's really interesting, right? Because in 2000, Dubai realized they couldn't be dependent on oil and handouts. And then in 2020, Dubai realized they couldn't be dependent on tourism. So there was a real mind share shift saying, right, we, we just we need to be more than tourism, more than hotels and entertainment. We need to be doing business. And, and luckily, my business is the type of business uh, that they don't do that much of out here. Mm-hmm. So I got a pretty free run. Well, that's a good setup because I think that the actually um, not doing a, a- a lot of your business is quite sort of common across the whole of brand land and retail land. Um, obviously, I gave a little introduction about reward and, and what you guys do, but give me give me um, the the two minutes on on how you how you position the company, and then we'll talk about loyalty in general. Well, we're a company that uses technology and data and some amazing people to get brands and banks closer to their customers. And a lot of people say, oh, we've got a loyalty program. Oh, you know, we understand we, we've done KYC on our customer, but I don't know if they actually have done it in the right way and put the customer at the heart of what uh, they're trying to do rather than their own objectives. Uh, and I think that uh, I've been rather fortunate that um, 
during the pandemic and and even before, um, it seemed like retailers needed some help in understanding customers and driving sales. Uh, and, and banks were under pressure by the digital first banks coming out, the challenger banks coming out, stealing their their millennials and their best young customers. And, and they had to reinvent how they wanted to have a relationship. And we were fortunate enough to, to have a pretty scalable enterprise platform and, and partners like Visa, MasterCard and Amex kind of picked us up and, and have been rolling us around the world. But at the core of your business, I mean, going way back to when I, when I remember you started the company, um, it started really leveraging a community of people who had a shared passion and that, and that time was, it was football in the UK. And then the companies evolved so much from there, even through a phase of paying for people's passions, which may still be the slogan. I don't know. Uh, and then, and now you've really just taken it to a sort of a, you've transcended even all of that because it had a, its own history, but today it's loyalty, um, you know, 3.0. Can you explain what the exact sort of uh, cadence of how your your company interfaces with the banks and the retailers separately? Yeah, I mean, you know, funny enough, uh, we're celebrating our twentieth year anniversary this year. It's crazy. Um, and uh, you know, we definitely are in a different place than where we thought we were going to be when we first started out. My goal being a massive football fan was um, I saw that um, people were being pushed out of the stadiums or priced out of the stadiums. Um, And I came up with this idea that said, look, if people really care about football, like I do and, and the millions of people around the world do, would they change their buying behavior in their everyday shopping to get rewarded to then offset the cost of the increase of tickets. So the whole idea of paying for people's passions was obviously the genesis of our business, but is now, without sounding kind of uh, too marketing, it's the brand essence of our business. So we don't shout about it. We don't talk about it. We don't put it on the website. But the idea of actually understanding what people want and then giving them what they want shouldn't be rocket science, but not many people do. And and we've been quite lucky to to, to build a business around that. So I, if I'm if I'm a retailer and I uh, and in, I'm interested in leveraging this incredible data and and you know consumer information, um, how am I thinking about interfacing with you guys? So a lot of retailers come to us because they want to know what's happened. We kind of were doing well pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, obviously, everything kind of got turned upside down. And now we're trying to work out which lane to swim in. Do we go after all the existing customers that used to shop at us uh, and hope that they're going to come back to our our in-store proposition? Or are we going to go after new customers? And there's just a lot of questions. You know, how much market share did I lose during uh, the pandemic? And who did I lose it to? How do I get lapsed customers and how do i get them to to come back in and shop with me i know that an omni-channel customer is worth two times the value of a single channel so how do i convert an in-store shopper to an online shopper um how do i acquire new customers you know uh, all of these kind of big hairy questions uh the the retailers come and, and ask us and what we do is we look at our bank data and we look back at the last three four five years of consumer shopping can you, can you talk about the scale? Can you talk about the scale of the bank data and where the where the feeds come from? So we are probably looking at 
between three and a half and four billion transactions a year, which equates to over 150 billion pounds worth of spend um, from debit and credit cards, which in the UK alone, we're probably seeing one in every four transactions on a payment card. So what we have is statistical significance in our data at scale. And what we do is we analyze that data and we say to to retailers, look, this is where we think you need to focus your attention. Did you know that this retailer who is an e-commerce retailer has been winning a lot of market share from you? And you might not have even known that they were going there. Mm -hmm. Did you know that like there was a store that opened up down the road from you? And they didn't steal all of your customer spend, but they stole enough of it for you to start worrying. And the lifetime value of that customer, you paid big money to acquire a customer. People talk about customer acquisition fees. People then forget that they paid this big money to acquire a customer. And then they're not nurturing this customer through and they're not going right. You know, you might not lose their entire spend, but if you lose a big chunk of it, You've got to try and work that back. And it's very difficult because the, the consumer might have started to unengage with you, might see you as one of many rather than my preferred retailer to shop at. So we help them with that. And what we call is actionable insights, where we look at the spend, we look at how consumers are behaving, and then we say to the retailer, this is what we recommend that you do. This is where I think that you should be putting offers and promotions. And by the way, I've got 10 million, 20 million, 30 million people in this country that I can promote your brand to so that we can change that buying behavior. And then I'll show you at the end of the month whether we change that behavior or not. And I think that accountable marketing has got to be the future of performance marketing. And so do you have in a, in a specific country or um, I guess uh, a, a region of the world, do you work with only one kind of specific kind of retailer? So a grocery store, a department store, a a petrol station, or, or are you now more able to sort of provide a service to anyone who is interested in buying the service? Yeah. So very valuable point that I've got to say here, which is um, we don't run loyalty programs for, for retailers. What we do is we run enterprise-grade customer engagement programs for banks. And as part of that program, we use the transactional data from the banks to understand consumer spend and then drive card usage in the retailers. And the reason why we do that, Morty, is the banks worked out that if they could get people to spend more on the card, they're more likely to have to put their salary into the bank account. And if they put their salary, they're more likely to put recurring payments and direct debits out of it, which means they're going to be more sticky and they're more likely to stay and less likely uh, to leave, but also take other products and services. So the banks realized actually that the key to loyalty for them was card usage. So the best way to drive card usage was to team up with some of the best retailers in the world and get exclusive offers for their customers. And the way that they get exclusive offers is they let me look at the data. We then work out what is in the retailer's best interest and who we should target to drive incremental sales to them. And then we do that for them and then everybody wins. The consumers get rewarded, the the retailers get rewarded and and the banks get the increased transactions, which then leads to all the, the upstream stuff that they really care about. 
So with, with all that having been said, um, what, what, what gets you excited about the kinds of companies that when you go into a new market, for example, I know you, you've entered into, as you just said, into the Middle East, uh, what kind of company do you want to engage with that you say, oh my goodness, if they could only leverage our information, they would see huge, uh, huge improvements. What, who, who's your target player? It's the big guys. It's usually the uh, the high street guys who are beginning to play with e-com, um, but they've just got massive real estate, massive stores, massive staff. They've got this infrastructure cost and they might have their own loyalty program, but they don't know when somebody leaves Pottery Barn, where else they shop in that sector. And if Pottery Barn wanted to to understand, you know, how much are people spending in my sector? How much am I capturing? How do I capture more? Those are the types of people. So we work really with the biggest retailers from from Amazon to H&M to McDonald's around the world. We've got probably 200 retailers that we work with who are all interested in using our data to create insight and that insight to become actionable so that we can drive them incremental spend. So recently you entered into a, a kind of a big deal partnership with Verisk. Tell us all about that, please. So we, we've obviously heard about Verisk, who are a $30 billion NASDAQ S&P 500 data behemoth. Um, and, you know, they do a lot of work with banks. Um, and during the conversations, um, they said, hey, look, you know, we, we like what you do. You guys have got the same idea as us. And that idea is that banking and commerce are coming together. So as people are using more cards rather than cash, and as people are shopping more online and offline, there's more data being created. And this data is not being monetized properly. So We are in our swim lane where we are trying to help the banks and the retailers monetize this data to drive a change of behavior. And they said, look, we like what you're doing. We'd like to invest in you and see how we can help you grow. Um, And, you know, together we did it. And they've got some amazing data sets, amazing, mind-blowing data sets across so many different sectors. But we've got a quite unique data set and they like our data set they see that it's additive to theirs and actually when you look at the power of what they can do and what we can do it's pretty additive and and we're currently working in the middle east in europe with them trying to work out how how we can make more money together so it's been a pretty good partnership so far yeah it's interesting you you mentioned amazon earlier in this country in the united states where i'm sitting um you know amazon is the only player uh, that truly understands their customer because they know them from from the diaper purchase uh, through the beverage purchase through the cleaning product purchase through now uh, you know the biggest fashion retailer in, in the country and everyone else online let's call it the, the, the Shopify universe potentially we, we might call it um, doesn't know what everyone else is doing um, and sort of this web or, or knitting together of everything off Amazon online or indeed offline as well, omni-channel, is kind of a, 
it seems to me to 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 be to be able to provide that level of insight, which is what you're you're doing and have been doing now as, as the latest iteration of your business, is is a and there's, there are many, but or a few rather, but it's one of the the golden geese, as it were, of our industry. It, 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 I mean, it's a really powerful thing that you're doing, which I think here in America, I don't think it's being done. Uh, I know you did it incredibly well in the UK and are traveling around Europe and in the Middle East. But if you manage to do this at scale globally, I mean, it sounds like it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, uh, I see a lot of clear water ahead of us. Um, obviously, the pandemic's been a bit choppy. Um, but I mean, you know, even the likes of Amazon come to us and they're launching uh, launching Amazon Fresh and they want to pick up some market share in the grocery sector. They uh, uh, Amazon Prime, they want to take market share away from Netflix and Disney. So they come to us and say, can you drive us new customers who we think would be interested in our subscription products? So even the biggest beasts in the world like Amazon still come to us, which is which is very flattering. But you're right. The second that you you go below Amazon, the there and there are some very sophisticated retailers, but they just don't see enough spend to understand what their share of wallet is and understand how to drive new customers to their stores. And and you, you mentioned, you know, the, the pandemic earlier. How Based on sort of information you're seeing, or maybe there's some readouts that you publicly, um, you know, share with the world. But but is there a, a, a sort of a customer centric view of this emerging consumer out of this last eighteen months nightmare that everyone's been living through? Yeah, um, I mean, look, the number one thing that we all know is that retailers had a big reset button pushed, and all of the habits that we've developed over the years suddenly changed and coming out of it new habits are beginning to get forged and we're seeing as you know everyone sees obviously e-commerce had a massive spike during the pandemic and then it dropped off but it is still growing at a faster pace than it did before and not just in the younger, it's across the board. So I think that the speed in which people are going to become omni-channel customers is going to just keep accelerating. Um, you know, we're too early to, to to be in a you know stick in the ground and say this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen because we're still you know you've got countries in Europe that are still talking about another lockdown. So people aren't behaving quite the way they usually do. But what I can tell you right now is that because people turn to e-commerce and because of the cleanliness factor of tapping a payment card rather than handling cash, what we've seen is a massive shift into digital payments. And those digital payments can be tracked, they can be analyzed, and they can be interpreted. And that's really where I think the biggest shift is going to be, is people are going to make smarter decisions based on data. And that's really where we're hoping that we're going to become a winner out of this. So you, you're in you're in Dubai, um, and uh, I, I heard someone reference the other day, sort of the Western digital ecosystem and then the Asian digital ecosystem as two separate and distinct ecosystems. Uh, obviously, the Chinese one, sort of the most powerful, maybe within that, and in, and within that, it's its own ecosystem. Um, do, can you? Uh, leverage your data across borders, including into Asia and China, or is it primarily, uh, let's call it a Western consumer for the time being? 
Yeah, you know, if you think about it like this, we're seeing the data from debit cards, credit cards, and from bank accounts. So as long as transactions are flowing through one of those three places, we can see them. When you do buy now, pay later, which is all the rage, and I have to tell you, I have my reservations. I think it's great, but I also think that people are going to start putting a lot of debt onto their balance sheets, their personal balance sheets, and God knows what's going to happen in three to five years with either another pandemic or or AI replacing the jobs. But there could be a lot of people with a lot of debt because of these buy now, pay later programs. But they also change what we see. So before we could see that you bought a Peloton. Now we see that we can see maybe one transaction for a hundred bucks from Peloton. And then the rest of it goes through the buy now, pay later program like Klarna. So it's changing the landscape of the data that we see. And for us, we have to work really hard to make sure that we're understanding where people are shopping so that we can then understand what the retailer's market share is and share of wallet. Coming back to your point about uh, Asia and uh, and uh, different payment mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, for sure, when crypto comes in and we pay, um, we're not seeing that stuff. So what we really are able to see is uh, people using, I guess, the Western rails of Amex, Visa, MasterCard, and then the banks. I I often find that in the West, in America and in Europe, um, businesses get sort of encumbered by the the leverage, the the, uh, institutional technology players. So they've got this legacy platform that they have and legacy partnerships with big, you know, heavy companies. And they're not always as uh, nimble, let's say, to, to to embrace new ideas. Do you find that living in Dubai and trying to launch your business in the Middle East, which has only recently in, uh, actually launched e-commerce, it hasn't been around that long, do you find that they're uh, able to be m- maybe leapfrogging uh, sort of to, the, to where you are quicker than some of the businesses um, in the West? Or, or is it, or are there similar challenges? Yeah, I mean, you've got a scale challenge here in the Middle East, which is even in Dubai, you're still a small country, right? At least a small emirate within the United Arab Emirates, which is I don't know, 8 million people. Whereas, so when we sign up a bank like First Abu Dhabi Bank, it's a small number compared to a bank in Poland that we've just signed. So you've got, you've got a scale issue with, with e-commerce for sure. Um, but I think what you have in in Dubai, and I've seen it in Kuwait, and I've seen it in Saudi, um, as we're working out there with banks as well, is that they realize that they need to change and they need to catch up. And the speed in which they've changed is just mind-blowing. Yeah. These guys are early adopters to technology. Yeah. They're willing to give it a go. And, you know, you've got retailers who are 200 years old, and they've always done it the same way. Well, you know what? I'm sorry, but you got to change. And I think that when you've got this mindset coming from a place like Dubai, where 40 years ago, the whole place was sand, and now they've got the tallest buildings in the world, and they've got some of the most amazing architecture, they just embrace change. And I think that Europe is slower to embrace change. And I always looked when I went to university in, in, in America, I always thought that that was such a forward thinking country. Um, but I think now we're seeing some of these 
other countries that are behind the eight ball suddenly waking up and going, okay, we need to evolve or we're going to die. And I think um, it's an exciting time to be out here. So as we uh, hit the hit the, the the top of our time together, what are you excited about in general? It could be about your company. It could be about the industry uh, as you sort of now embark on this new partnership and, uh, and the world that you now see before you. What, what's give us some, give us some, uh, some notes of optimism about the future, please. I think that the pandemic has probably made us more connected than we've ever been before. And we used to say that information flow was fast because of the internet. But I think that now the rate in which we're sharing and working together to solve common problems is something that I don't think we've seen for a very long time. And I think that hopefully if we can keep that spirit alive, we're going to be a lot more collaborative as we work. And, you know, I've got employees now from all over the world, which I would never have done before. So Mm -hmm. I'm able to recruit the best talent, not because of where they live, but because of their minds and their attitudes. And I think that that's going to allow companies and people living in, in, in Lebanon who are amazingly talented developers maybe start earning some money that can help change the communities. So um, I'm very excited about uh, about the future. Gavin Dean is keeping the spirit alive from Dubai. Thank you so much for doing the safari with me. It's my pleasure. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.